Let's let's go to hell. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to, hell. to another fantastic episode of the Post Credits <laughs> Podcast. Uh, joining me today is my co-host, Mr. Matt Pepler. How you doing? I'm great as usual. Good, glad to <laughs> Look, hear it. Looking forward to this episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. And joining me as well to fuel this white knuckle ride to hell and back is our resident Friday the 13th expert, Mr. Blake Kleiner. How are we doing, sir? Doing fantastic, gentlemen. How are you? Good. I love how he says it's going to be another fantastic episode. It's like, I don't, I don't know anymore. Like <laughs> I know, I know Matt has been looking forward to this one. This is uh, well, 2022's equivalent of internet blood sports. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't want it to be that. I don't want it to be blood sports. But I, I feel like there's an interesting conversation to be had here because you like this movie. Is that correct? I do. I enjoy it for for what it is. I can recognize its flaws. And uh, I think, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for wasted potential. But there's also something oh just sheerly manic and crazy about somebody handing a, a completely inexperienced 23 year old the reins to a long established franchise and like figure it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was like 23 yeah he was the youngest director hired by the studio at that point i believe yeah it shows <laughs> <laughs> there there is that uh one thing that i want to touch up on real quick uh, before we get into friday the final friday is that he was the writer of Texas Chainsaw 3D, this guy, mm -hmm. the director. So just so you know, this director is also directly responsible for Do Your Thing, Cuz. Oh, you know, God. he wrote that. He wrote, he put that down. With I know. And, and, and I hate <laughs> that because it becomes harder and harder to defend this movie when Adam Marcus continues to have his name put on absolute shit. <laughs> <laughs> like... The more I look at his resume, I'm like, oh man, yeah, like, yeah, really, and, you're gonna do this to me, man. And yet he <laughs> keeps getting work, blood. like, like he's sold numerous TV series and movies, and right, yeah. <laughs> and evidently, if he had gotten his way, there would have been a Creighton Duke spinoff that would have actually fleshed out the backstory that they inexplicably cut from this movie. I mean, you, you have the best character in the film, and then you narratively neuter him i just don't understand that i i don't i don't know if there's a best character in this movie because i don't feel like there's <laughs> there's many characters in so here savage. like he's he's certainly like the most interesting <laughs> yeah I, there was a lot there that really could have been brought about and and you know, there's that line toward the end where he handcuffs himself to whatever it is, and then it cuffs himself to Jason, and he says, "Hey, son of a bitch, remember me?" And yeah, like, well, obviously you've met before. Would have been nice if that stuff was filmed or not cut, <laughs> so that we actually okay. mentioned that. in any way possible. Yeah, because <laughs> from what I saw, the the backstories are relatively recent something that came to the surface in like 2017 adam marcus was on some podcast and he finally revealed like 20 years later that there was some actual backstory with with creighton duke where he he was as, as a young a, a young buck he was out on camp crystal lake and his boat got campsized by jason who pulled his girlfriend down he tried to save her and he didn't 
okay, you know, that would have been cool, but that's like nowhere in the movie. No. No. Maybe it's and just I a think... really he takes a really long time with writing his stories. He's just yeah. thorough, you know. And that's even that that's that's kind of dissatisfactory just to think about it because it's it's virtually everything that we've already seen in the other eight movies. I, I think there could oh, have been a much yeah. more interesting backstory than just that. I mean, that, that's all, that's the same thing that happened to to Rennie in part eight, where it's like she got yeah. pulled under the water. That's to traumatize right, her. I mean, right. uh, yeah, no, it's it's about the most generic Jason run-in you could possibly have. It's, it's just, yeah. Knocks your boat over. Oh, we found him in the lake. Oh shit. There he is. Fight him. Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna vow revenge. And supposedly <laughs> he that's why he started his bounty hunter business, right? Was to fund yes. his his revenge. Yeah. Which again, that's more interesting than why to they me. Don't, they don't even talk about that at all. I don't know, Help but me maybe kickstart one day. my Jason hunting, you know. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Maybe one day we'll get like Adam Marcus's version of Split, you know, where everyone forgot <laughs> about the about Unbreakable. And then all of a sudden, you know, like we just have a story about a guy who, you know, his girlfriend or whatever gets whacked when he's a kid and he becomes a bounty hunter to try to track down whatever demonic spirit he believes actually performed. Then at the end, you find out he's going after Jason. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. At the very least, it would, you know, give people a reason to watch this uh, cluster fornication of a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's so, part of the reason why I say, like, I, I don't think he's a, a good character is because he, he, you know, basically shows up to deliver exposition that's nowhere else because, you know. And it, break fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that <laughs> in depth, but we, we we can wait. We can wait for that a little bit. But yeah, you know, at exposition Duke shows up to tell characters stuff that nobody else knows. And it's well, how does he know this? Well, oh, he studied Jason. OK, we've also lived with Jason for seven movies, 20 years, seven movies yeah. up to this point. And that's one of the things that it's always been really difficult for me to swallow about this particular movie is you're you're establishing this new element of the body swapping that up until now it has not even been a thought. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's just, it literally just comes out of nowhere. And it's so bizarre. It's not even that, you know, cause like we watched that, um, the, the chapter on crystal Lake memories and Noel Cunningham yeah. was saying like, Oh, people don't like it. Cause it's not all Jason all the time. That's not true. It's just, it, it doesn't make sense. And I, I think when you just do shit like that and you just, and you take the audience completely sideways, you, I, I feel like you're not respecting their intelligence whatsoever. Cause it's not taking care of continuity in any way or, Ooh, oh, there's a great uh, continuity error. I discovered this last time too. Yeah. I, mean, I agree. I can, this movie is like yeah. very insulting, you know. <laughs> I agree with that to a point because you, you do have, I guess, an established lore with Jason, and this does kind of spit in the face of okay, well, if he could just body swap, why did he allow himself to be killed in part four and then buried for you know however long it took for Corey Feldman to become Tom Matthews? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but at the same time, I mean, this is not a series that respects continuity in any way, shape, or form, um, mm-hmm. both within movies and between movies. You know, things get a little dicey. Like, you know, we go from him as, you know, elephant man living in the woods to, you know, part three, and he's retroactively shaved his head. And apparently he's become a, a serial sexual predator. And I'm still trying to figure that shit out. Yeah, that's really out <laughs> then, of character where he attacks Chris Higgins there. Yeah. And then, you know, his body type constantly changes between movies. And I mean, I think if we were to actually try to draw up a legitimate timeline that took into account the stretches of time, by the time we got to part eight, it would probably take place during the timeline of Jason X because there's so so much time in between. And yet, hey, you know, it's still the 80s and everybody's got the hair. So Mm -hmm. what do I know? (laughs) So if you don't mind, uh, Blake, can you like give a couple points on like what are things that you enjoy about this movie? That sounds really condescending. I don't mean it to be, but for me, this is oh, no, uh, no, one no, of those take... movies. that's like, it, th- I had so many what's in this yeah. movie where it's like, I, I, I can't place it on where I like it or if I like it. But so I'm well, curious it, to it know like objectively what objectively bad. Yes. I, I'm not even going to argue it. It is objectively <laughs> bad. But to me, it's it's the kind of bad that I that I can enjoy. It's, it's up there with movies like Jim Cotta, The Room, okay. where it's so gloriously over the top with how it tries to change things and manipulate the audience's expectations. And it falls so short in some ways. And yet it also gives you glimpses of ambition and talent. And there's a that really stylistic sequence when... Uh, uh, Robert Taper, Bruce Campbell, news guy, when he's you know possessed and he storms into the diner and there's all that slow motion. How it's shot, filmed, the makeup effects are fantastic. Um, I, I think there's a lot there to really to genuinely enjoy. To where it, it can offset where I'm just like, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, there are people out there who will they love Troll too. I don't get it, <laughs> and. But, but I'm not going to try to take that away from them. Just like, you know, people looking at me and going, huh, can't take this away from me, man. I've been watching this movie since I was a kid. It's fun to me. Um, it's interesting because for, for me, it's like those things, those annoyances that like make me want to not like a movie are also happening at the same time that something I do like is happening. So I feel conflicted, right? Like, so for example, when Jason's getting shot, Right in the beginning, that whole sequence I really like. But then the mm. ADR of like Jason feeling pain is and it's so all ridiculous. Adam Marcus's mm. grunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sounds so like ridiculous. my dog going after a toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like grabbing the rope bone and then shaking it around. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I, I do love that sequence, but that is kind of you know strange because you you don't hear Jason do anything but breathe for you know, seven movies prior to that. It's like Rob Zombie making Michael Myers talk. It's like, what yeah. were you thinking? Yeah, he he had a couple of grunts when he was human, Jason, when they, they'd like stab him in the hand or something like that. But I, I think that pretty much went away once we transitioned into, you know, Camp yeah, Zombie yeah, Friday Jason. part three, he, he was a lot more vocal and a lot quicker to move. Mm-hmm. in the, the earlier films. It wasn't until Kane Hodder came along and it's like, you know, all walking all the time. Right. That should be the name of an album. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. 
What do you think of like, well, I guess I don't I don't want to jump right to the back of this. So should we go like through beat by beat of this movie? I guess what's the best way to talk about it's, it? It's incomprehensible. I mean, the the you jump around it and it still makes sense. Yeah, the, the <laughs> right, plot right. is it doesn't really uh, exist here. <laughs> and and I, I, I still don't really understand um, what the uh, the main heroes like what brought like John LeMay's character as the uh, like what his relationship was even to his friends and how he gets sucked into it. I'm just really foggy on everything because he basically shows up and drops his friends off in the woods and and then they get murdered. (laughs) Right. So like what's his connection to the scene? Mm -hmm. That, That was a reshoot scene. Um, and from what I understand, too, there wasn't really any sort of a relationship between uh, John LeMay's character, Stephen, I think his name is, and uh, Carrie Keegan's character. You know, the, uh, the I guess he would, she would be Jason's niece. Um, and then they kind of cobbled together where the baby is his through creative editing. And then maybe added the part where they were, you know, where they kissed after all was said and done, probably in a reshoot, because I want to say half of this film was reshot because no one was checking dailies while they were doing this whole thing. The only people, the only person watching the film was the editor. And then after they wrapped filming, they had 41 minutes of usable footage. So they had to go back and reshoot (laughs) half the film because he made, Adam Marcus made virtually every mistake possible. Wow. And it's just damn shame because I think John LeMay is actually a very good, you know, he's got a likable presence to him. And he, I remember as a kid watching it thinking, this is kind of the first character in a movie like this where I kind of feel like I can identify with him because he kind of looks like me. You know, he looks like horror movie dork with glasses who watches these movies and knows them backwards and forwards. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is that one great scene where he's, you know, fighting with his cop buddy and, you know, they tackle each other because he's pissed, you know, because he took his gun and locked him away in the jail cell. And <laughs> and then they fight. It's like, you're going to get in the car. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. I've got a gun. Fuck that. I've got a gun. And then they realize, oh, <laughs> and they hold up the guns at each other. There's that's one of those moments where I'm like, oh, there's some of that potential there. You could have had more likable moments, more likable characters had you actually taken the time to give them a backstory <laughs> set anyone up at all yeah some of these people don't even approach one dimensional one dimensional is a goal for them mm-hmm. <laughs> and th- that's one of the things that i find so strange about his character because I'm, I'm not sure if he's supposed to be a high school student or in college or what he's because he's <laughs> you know like he he's dressed like a young guy but like he looks way too old <laughs> for the part yeah you yeah, know, we're and, in the Roger Corman Slumber Party Massacre universe where 35-year-olds are still seniors in high school. Yeah, and you just you don't understand what's going on. And yeah, like the whole thing you were saying with the, I don't know, it, it's just all so loose and flies so fast. It's, it's like they don't spend time setting anything up. But like you touched on something about the, the camp murder being a reshoot. Because I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, you, you mentioned about the, the diner scene being stylish. And one of the things I was thinking is like, as you were saying that, is that that's one of the few scenes that I'm now that I'm thinking back on it, that actually had good lighting. Yeah. Because the camping scene did not have good lighting. I mean, like most of it looks quite shoddy. Yes. And I, I wonder if that's 
you can, you know, kind of a telltale sign of like what was done during initial production or what was done on a reshoot. <laughs> Definitely. It, the, even within a scene, you will see drastic changes in lighting, film stock. <laughs> I, I want to say at the, the very end, you know, when Jason's being dragged down, there's a, a wider shot and it's grainy as all get out on your projector, especially because we got like, a, you know, a hundred <laughs> inches of screen to watch this thing. And I'm like, wow, this is grainy as shit. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to a close up of Carrie Keegan reacting to what's going on and it's beautifully lit and there's not a pixel in sight. I'm like, wow. Okay. Reshoot, reshoot original footage you can kind of go through and do a drinking game about it i wouldn't recommend it because you'd probably you know die of alcohol poisoning halfway through <laughs> yeah uh, going back to the main character really quick it was supposed to be uh tommy tommy jarvis that was supposed to be this character so that would have been better yeah it would have made a little bit maybe a little bit more sense where you or you wouldn't have to feel like oh who is this character you yeah. like you like he's already established but i guess that's one of the things that uh new line did not buy uh in that in the new ownership was the rights to tommy jarvis just friday the 13th and jason Voorhees. well they they didn't own the friday the 13th title they oh that's, my god that's, that's, that's why words yeah that's yeah. that's why none of the new line movies until the the remake had friday the 13th in their because they they their interest was Freddy versus Jason, so they got Paramount to loan them the Jason character, and nothing else. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh well, way to screw the pooch twice, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Why would they do that? Yeah, I don't know. That's really boneheaded. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm my mind's kind of melting from that right now. Yeah, that seems ho like horrible business. Well, and it's like, you know, conversely, what's the value of owning Friday the 13th as a franchise and not the Jason character for, for during right. that period? I mean, it's, I don't know. Deal making is weird sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't even try to wrap my brain around the cognitive disconnect going on up there in Hollywood <laughs> sometimes. Like, you did what? Whatever, just give me a script I can read. <laughs> You know, there there is a, another very small connection between John LeMay and Tommy Jarvis, believe it or not, is hmm. so John LeMay was one of the one of the only actors to be in both the TV series and one of the film entries. Yeah. Do you know who the other one was? No. No. John Shepard. John Shepard. OK. So Tommy Jarvis from part from part five. Ah, oh, okay. We call it Fart Five. It's fine. <laughs> it's accurate. <laughs> it was expelled from something. I'm not sure if it was a camera. <laughs> so I feel like this. They were also trying to make Jaws Five, like Land Jaws, with this movie, because <laughs> Mr. Duke is like exactly like Quint. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You get the mask and machete the whole damn thing. Yeah. yeah. And he makes the inappropriate sexual jokes. You know, like. The, uh, although I do think it is really funny when he says, I'm going to say two words and tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, Jason Voorhees. Well, that makes me think of a little girl in a pink sundress sticking a hot dog through a donut. What the fuck was that? I wrote that down. Like, I, what is that? What is he talking about? I think that was their attempt to try to make him like Quint because, you know, he's, he's okay. always thinking about 
you know, farewell and adieu, you fair Spanish ladies, and making inappropriate jokes. And yeah, but it's, it's so funny. That's like sailor talk, but this is just like oh. such a weird phrase. Like, you know, I feel like it's the same type of phrase that you would find in sleepwalkers, right? Where it's just like oh, uh, a little a little girl in a pink dress putting a hot dog through a donut. Like what? Yeah, I. <laughs> what the fuck i i don't i don't get that at all <laughs> i don't know it, it's it, it is funny and it is uh startling it kind of catches you off guard and when we were watching that you know crystal lake memories chapter they did say that it, it almost felt like they were making a movie with their friends and their goal was to crack each other up i i think that's yeah. at the end of the day all that was it, like it because it mm. As an analogy, there's nothing there. I mean, it's just yeah, like, yeah. We're, we're gonna have a scene, you know, this homoerotic scene. I mean, it's not up there with Top Guns volleyball or anything, but we're gonna have this guy, you know, laid out on a slab, chained or you know, just strapped down, and you know, Jason autopsy guy's gonna <laughs> schmooze up his face with the shaving cream and shave his mustache, and for no other reason than just to have that one scene. Because people are going to talk about it 20 years later. And here we are. (laughs) Yeah, even the director said that. And I'm like, but I don't I don't think it's the way you're thinking that people are talking about it. (laughs) You know, like, I don't think it's like, wow, that scene was really cool and memorable. It's more like so off putting. You're just like, you can't help but not think about it right yeah, you know you're it's, just it's like kind of like being the writer of battlefield earth it's like yeah you're going to be talked about in 20 years but is that really <laughs> right it's kind of an embarrassment it's not a, like a moment of pride <laughs> you know like yeah I, uh, something, all right. <laughs> I, I shot this movie where this guy gets tied up with the in like the spirit of jason uh possessing yeah. another guy gives a guy a mustache or shaves his mustache like yeah, what the- right right and then he talks about and then i end the scene <laughs> with an interracial kiss it's like that's, Ooh, yeah. that's not really it on star trek <laughs> what i was even you know thinking during that either because it's like oh here comes the demon thing i mean it wasn't so like you said matt i mean i i don't think people are talking about it for the reasons that <laughs> you know he did but um yeah, who you know, you brought up something really interesting too, since since we're on the subject of the house there. Uh that that place was a mansion. Like and if like if that yeah. was the Voorhees house, why did she have to work as a cook at a camp? Like Yeah, right. exactly. Like there's no way that a camp cook salary could pay for that house. I mean, maybe after it had dilapidated into that condition, you know, it's a fixer upper you know, do mm-hmm. a, flip the script on it and sell it, but Man, and it's uh, Voorhees is misspelled on the mailbox, which I always found odd. It's V O R H E E S on the mailbox instead of the double O. Mm. You know, I saw that in this movie, and it made me like, I'm like, man, have I been spelling it wrong this whole time? Like, I put too much trust into this movie, you know? <laughs> like, nope, you're just fine, man. You, you know what else they did <laughs> wrong is is they uh, reversed which eye is damaged. Yeah. yeah. That would be a K and B problem, though. It's unfortunate. No, yeah, yeah. It's like how how do those guys make that mistake? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I guess they figured, oh well, we screwed that up. Yeah, the molds are done. We'll throw the Necronomicon in there. That'll <laughs> that'll work. You know, I I met Kurtzman this weekend, and had I done my research beforehand, I could have asked him that. You know, like, <laughs> hey, what's up with that Jason eye? So. 
Yep. <laughs> so it's a good question. Maybe he body swapped into somebody, you know, or or the Toxic Avenger. I think Toxie's got the the other eye. <laughs> he looks a lot more like the Toxic Avenger in this film. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if Kurtzman was uh, too involved in this one. I, I think that uh, Nicotero was running it. Because I, I remember seeing, because I, I think he's the one that actually designed Jason for this one. Okay. And it is a very good design. I will say that. It's a, the, the oh, idea man. that he's been just wearing that mask for so long and he's accrued so much damage that when his skin regrew, it kind of grew around the mask like you see trees growing around fences. It was just, it was a really cool concept. Although, from what I understand, not very comfortable to wear. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the previous movies, Kane could, or any, the actor could kind of just pop the mask off to, to get a quick breath of fresh air and, being that it was all one headpiece, he's kind of just breathing his recycle recirculated air there. Sounds yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it'd be pretty hard to catch your breath during something like that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, luckily, there wasn't too much uh, intense stunt work for him in this one. Like, if he had to try to wear a get-up like this in Part 7, I think uh, Kane Hodder might have been hospitalized. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Well, you only have the two scenes with him right at the beginning and then right at the end. And he spends most of the beginning yeah. not showing up until the chase <laughs> through the woods. Yeah. Right. Although I do like the, the the couple of moments where you catch his reflection as somebody who's possessed by his spirit, you know, sees themselves in a mirror or, you know, the, the very first guy who walks out of the, uh, the morgue and you see the Jason reflection as he's walking out. Those were a nice touch, I thought. Mm-hmm. So Although when he what, catches his own reflection in the mirror, and I just thought that was hilarious because he's so he seems so startled by his own <laughs> reflection. He's like, "Is that what I look like? Yeah. I'm a fucking Ooh. monster." Yeah. No wonder yeah. people are afraid of me. No Which, wonder all uh, the ladies run away. Sometimes they have shoes, sometimes they don't, and sometimes they switch at the same. Yeah, shot. yeah, that's that's <laughs> one of the worst continuity breaks since uh, the the sweater in part five. Yeah. What's the sweater in part five? When, uh, what is it? What, what's her name? Melanie. Melanie Kinnaman. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's running through the rainstorm to the barn and, uh, it, some t- shots she has a sweater, some shots she doesn't. Some, I mean, oh. it, it's oh, like, okay. Ping, 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 ping. It's there. It's not there. It's there. It's not there. It's, ri- it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah, I mean, how they, bad it is. They couldn't have reshot that. I mean, what's it? Uh, George Romero created a whole gag with the screwdriver and the, the zombie who was posing as a mannequin yeah. just to cover up the continuity error of forgetting the jacket. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, w- it's or, difficult. Yeah, yeah. You know, you put a hose out there and just have her run through the trees for a couple of minutes. Okay, there you go. Problem solved. Well, I would imagine that it would be hard, hard to spot any error with the amount of errors that are going on with like a movie like this because I feel like there's just too many. You know, where they're like, well, we missed that continuity thing. It's like, yeah, but there were all these other problems that we, you know, tried to address, you know. Yeah. And and that's how you never work as a script supervisor again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what what were they doing (laughs) during some of these movies, especially, you know, the the opening scene, which which I I do love, you know, leading up to that awesome explosion, you know, all practically done, the head, boop, 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 boop. But, uh, you know, this, you know, FBI agent, whatever, Adam Marcus named her after himself, right? Agent Marcus. And she's running through and, you know, 
and you can clearly see that sometimes she's got just full on shoes and socks, but she was supposed to be barefoot. And only once in a while do you see these things that look like almost a silicone mold just to protect her feet. Mm-hmm. And so you have not one type of continuity error, but two that can, you know, exist in a scene that's very short. Right. It's about what, a minute and a half. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been difficult to just realize that, oh, you know what? We see your feet. Let's just frame this a little differently. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's crop in on that. Sure. It'll make the noise bigger, but hey, it matches with everything else in this movie we've done. Yeah. Cause understandably, <laughs> underlit. You, you don't want the young woman running around out there in the woods in, in her bare feet. Cause you know, you get hurt. There's a lot of stuff you can get cut up on. So it, it's not the yeah. shoes that we're picking on so much as just the complete Bush league. <laughs> yeah. You know, continuity that's, that's involved there. I mean, it just felt like it could have been so easily avoided. Yeah. I mean, when Sam Raimi equally as inexperienced as Adam Marcus at this point can film you know, a continuous sequence of a woman running virtually stark naked through the woods and remembers to make sure she's wearing no shoes for the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And on a, a shoot, what, a tenth of the budget? Right. Yeah, I think There's they had no $3 million dollars for, for this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, Which I uh, version did you all watch? Did you watch? Because I'm, I'm assuming we all have the Shout Factory version, right? Mm-hmm. Like the one that was in the box set. Which one did you guys watch? The unrated or the theatrical? Un- unrated but like i, I was Excellent. asking him and it's like i i don't even really know what's different i, I don't think it's substantially different no i, I think and it's something stupid like which eight is seconds amazing considering whatever. considering the two movies that this follows and how neutered they were by the mpaa for for gore content especially part seven i mean that that movie was it was just cut to ribbons by the MPAA. Yeah, it and was. Then to see some of the stuff in this one that made it to the theater with an R, because this movie is gross. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it is very gross. And that I is one word well done. But I'm just wondering yeah. what happened in just a few years since the last ones. Yeah, that is one word. How I describe this movie was gross. <laughs> like, yeah. there's some nastiness in it. Uh, with yeah, the, the body melts, I yes, mean, it's yes. so beautifully rendered. The makeup is fantastic, but it is disgusting. Yes. Yeah. I, I wonder if it was because of the more overtly supernatural nature of it that they let him get away with a little bit more. I, I don't know what the, how they rule on that stuff, but I was going to make a crack there that they didn't need the MPA to cut it down because, you know, Adam Marcus cut it down to 42 minutes himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the movie is actually never getting out because he doesn't even have one. Yeah. 40 minutes. Man. I, as incomprehensible as this movie is, I would like to see that 42 minute but, version. Like, what? Yeah, I want the, to know exactly what's from <laughs> that first 41 minutes <laughs> footage. Yeah. It's incredible. That is so much to not have by the end of your, yeah, I've shot my movie. Oh, yeah. Um, How long? 40 minutes. (laughs) Oh, there was another instance. Uh, I'm going to go off in the weeds here just for a second, but I promise I'll bring it back. Uh, If you've seen Zombie 3, um, Lucio Fulci's name is on it, but 
the finished product once he was finished with it. And I guess he was in very poor health at the time. They had 45 to 50 minutes of usable footage. So a good half of that movie is directed by Claudio Fergasso and Bruno Mattei. And they try to tie oh, together. Oh, God, help us all. I know vision. who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> try to tie together the creative <laughs> visions of three people who could not be less alike unless you're talking about Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder. Either way, it's going to be a discombobulated mess. And it is. And this is still one director's vision. And admittedly, it is still a mess. My God. Uh, those yeah. people. <laughs> Those fucking people. <laughs> the Italians or Adam Marcus? The Italians. No. <laughs> the they made Shocking Dark. Those two those two yeah. people. Yes. Yes, and, they uh, and we, That's we, a we watched we watched Cruel Jaws. Another oh, one I've of his you know, masterpieces. It's so funny. <laughs> that that knowing that fact that you guys put yourself through that is just so impressive to me. Cause I, I made a I made a joke because I was looking over like we had already uh, talked about shocking dark and we brought up cruel jaws and oh. then like i don't know like a month goes by and i'm looking at pre-orders and it's like cruel jaws on like blu-rays coming out i'm like holy fucking shit like, really <laughs> like, yeah mm-hmm. yeah we still don't have the abyss <laughs> yeah but we got cruel jaws <laughs> yeah uh just amazing uh horrible yeah shocking dark <laughs> yes. is a nightmare Yes. Yeah. And you it's want, not you watched that one too. <laughs> you watched yeah, both I, of them? Uh-huh. Why yep. are you uh putting yourselves through that? You know, it's, it's, it's oh, like a million things <laughs> literally that you could be watching. That's so much better. You know, just saying, this is why the good Lord invented booze and friends, Matt. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I don't drink and I guess I don't have any friends. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we basically get together and just clown on some of these movies and it, it's almost a. <laughs> Uh, a I have a Blu-ray of Zombie Three, so <laughs> if you ever want to do that, a podcast on that one, it's a oh, it's a hoot. <laughs> well, I'll be interested. There's a lot of lot of garbage that I do watch, uh, yep. and some of them have made it into episodes. So, yeah, <laughs> zombies and super speed, zombies talking. It, it's essentially an Italian ripoff of Return of the Living Dead. It just Aren't so they all ripoffs after. of like something that America has done better? Usually, you know? yes. Although so. it's shocking, dark is just hysterical because you know having it be released bootlegged over here as Bruno Mattei's Terminator Two, only for it to be a ripoff of the wrong James Cameron movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't wrap my brain around <laughs> some of these yeah. Italian ripoffs. Alienator—that's what it was called once. Uh, just, just it's it's impressive. Like, I, I just don't get how it even exists, but it does. <laughs> Anyways, back to uh, Jason. Jason you know, yeah. I'd like to know is how we go from Wessex County, New Jersey to wherever the hell Ohio this is. Because they, yeah, like, they bring up Ohio. Ohio several times that it's in Ohio. Like, yeah, and then the, the license plate on Kerry Keegan's car is Connecticut. So there's there's no geographic. It's almost like 
Adam Marcus thought, whatever, I'm going to set this in the Simpsons universe of Springfield because no one knows where the hell it is. And if you've seen the movie where they pan the camera to all the places that you can see from Springfield and they're like 3,000 miles apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of how this movie feels while you're watching it. Like, does this movie even know where it is? Yeah. No? All right, fine. Yeah, because it's not like there's any significant FBI headquarters there, not that I'm aware of, or, you know, hospital that they have to go oh, take they, they Jason gone. They should have gone with Quantico or something. I mean, that, that would have been close enough to New Jersey for me to buy it. So what do you uh, what do you guys think of the black ooze that eventually turns into the worm and then some demon crawling across the floor by the end of it? Yeah, that heart is so tasty. You know, it's just full of all that, you know, beautiful open pit barbecue sauce or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> that was disgusting as well. <laughs> yes, it was. I remember seeing that as a kid and like, wow, the, this is how we're going to start. Okay. Yeah. Let me get a bucket. <laughs> yes. It was so just chunky and black. Mm-hmm. And oh, that actor God. sold it. He really yeah. did. He made me believe that somehow somewhere in some alternate universe where up is down and garbage is money that heart just looks delicious <laughs> i love also that he's got his um he's got his uh like a lab coat rolled up and the whole point of a lab coat is that you don't get dirty you yeah know? you protect your <laughs> yeah it's like, like a chef you know dirty apron clean hands you know that's that's how right that's supposed to be but but this is the cool uh, you know, morgue person. <laughs> so he's got to roll up his sleeves. Like, Another and it's like too. his suit jacket is rolled up in there too. It's yeah. not just the lab coat. And and of so. course, like every other lab technician in every movie ever, he's eating a sandwich. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm surprised Doesn't... he had any room left after that, you know, lovely heart. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he eats the heart. This is where it gets so convoluted to me. And then the creature forms inside of him. Sure. Yeah, the, 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 the lights, which <laughs> beautiful, beautiful effect, by the way. I will say, you know, the, the, when the, the lights shoot into his chest, there's clearly some sort of a practical effect that showed them where to direct the optical. So it, yeah. it was a very convincing effect. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was practical or not, or if they um, were just that good at opticals, because I, I was reminded very much of, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, where you know, I believe they did all yeah. that with rotoscoping where the light beams are shooting out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I dig that. Although, you know, like you said, sometimes something that's very, you know, impressive, because I, I very much like that effect, is followed up by something that makes you go, what the hell? And you pointed this out to me. Where do they get the video footage of the two coroners? <laughs> And in order to have on what is it, American case file. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause they cut to that guy interviewing Creighton Duke there and they're showing footage of <laughs> like, yeah, got it's like coroners, footage. you know, Dean Laurie staring into the camera, by the way, the second coroner, Dean Laurie, he's the co-writer of the film. And apparently he wound up working on arrested development later on as a writer. So good for him. Bully for him. <laughs> he, yeah, you pointed that out in a, like, he wasn't a good actor and you can just kind of tell it's like he, he forced <laughs> his way in there or, you know, they're like, yeah, and you can be, you can be an actor in this shirt. And like, he just wasn't <laughs> like M night Shyamalan being in his own movies. <laughs> yeah, man, that's so his cameo has just gotten more and more distracting as they went on. 
At Lady in the Water is the uh, the winner and champion, though, <laughs> of the distracting. Your writing's going to change the world. Get out of here, Ego. You're taking up too much screen time. And and then we cut to Creighton Duke's training compound. What is he? What's he? What's he training? Like is is he just like hiring know. people to run around in the woods so he can go like practice his man tracking or like is he running seminars for other bounty hunters or something like that? And actually, it almost looks like it's interrupted by a freeway. Because when I see that, it's like the training compounds <laughs> across the street, and they're uh-huh. standing somewhere they shouldn't be. <laughs> Dude, his it training really compound is his backyard. Like, it looks to me like they, they just found a public park with a picnic table that happened to be across the street from, like, a county jail. Yeah, yeah. But that's what it really looks like to me. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Training compound. Wait a minute. That whole <laughs> building? Hold on. That whole building is his training compound. I, I believe yeah, that's I, the implication. Yeah, and and in my mind, you, you walk in there and you just open a door, and it's like that that scene in Wayne's World where they open the door and there's like guys just running past a flamethrower. You know, kind of like the, the Spectre training and uh, the, the James Bond movies. I think that's giving this so movie too incredibly much stupid. That's too much credit. I honestly think that he is just the owner of a very podunk laser quest, and he doesn't want anybody to know. And that's why he insisted on having lunch across the street. <laughs> yeah. So he, more believable. The street. <laughs> so he yeah. could use his, his little donut analogy to his heart's content. My mind did not make that jump. Because I'm like, there's no possible way that building is his training compound. I just thought it was like a bad shot that they put in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. like not that they're not that the camera is specifically looking at this building to let you know that's where he's training. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, considering yeah. how much of a rush they were to just get on to the next thing, my guess is like, well, eh, we're here and this will do, you know, if we hurry, we can wrap this by three and go out drinking, guys. What do you say? All right, let's do it. Right. So let's go. Let's talk about the knuckle breaking. I think it's time. You said you wanted to save that for later, Brian. Yeah, yeah. It's just, again, it's it's a good scene that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I yeah. know. It is. It's one of the few scenes where you've got, you know, you've got two characters that you're kind of interested in seeing where they're heading. At the very least, you definitely want to know where Creighton Duke comes from and what he's all about. And at the end of it, you're just left with all these questions like, why did he have to break his damn fingers? And how does he know all this? Yeah, he, yeah. At Exposition Duke just, oh, that's, <laughs> that's going to cost you money. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever he says and uh, break breaks his fingers, which if your goals align with someone because you know you're after Jason, you've sworn revenge on him. This guy's after Jason. Okay. Like, why would you hobble the guy? Like if you're not competitors, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that, that would actually would have been a, a great scene. If, if those, if you had two competing bounty hunters and he was trying to, one was trying to take the, the other one out of the game where like, you know, something that I don't, well, it's going to cost you snap your fucking finger. That would actually be that cool. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That would make sense. But that's not this movie. <laughs> like, right. Oh. I'll tell you. It's, it's just it's all that weirdness for weirdness sake. It is. It is. It caught me off guard. I'm like, wait, he's breaking his fingers while giving the guy information. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you this information, but I got to break your bones 
to do it. <laughs> I got to see how much you can take, son. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's it, crazy. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work at all, even as a self-contained scene, if those two actors didn't, you know, God love them, sell the hell out of it. Because right. uh, Stephen Williams as Creighton Duke, he's really, really great in a role that not many people really seem to understand <laughs> because mm -hmm. he's he's just this enigmatic guy, you know, with a couple of funny lines who happens to know all of this stuff that flies in the face of an established mythos. Like it would have been nice to have that fleshed out and really build up because that line where he says, you son of a bitch, you remember me. It could have had a really good payoff with just a five minute scene. Right. Explained who he was. Or if he even told that story when he was talking to the TV reporter guy. I mean, that's, yeah. you could have just slid yeah. that right in there. <laughs> Instead it's, of talking it, about children in pink dresses, you know? Yeah. He's very much like, he is a lot like, you know, Quint, who he's obviously modeled after. He just kind of, he's the best in the room and he wants to make sure you know it. And even if he comes off like a complete dick in the process. <laughs> You know, we almost had Tony Todd as Creighton Duke. That would have been nice. Oh, man, it would have been, but then I would have felt bad that someone as good as him was in such a shitty movie. You know, <laughs> like, oh, Tony, no. <laughs> you know? Well, and, well, uh, Tony's been in some stinkers, too. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and I guess their choice for the... Uh... Oh, you, you said her name earlier. I'm blanking on the actress's name. Who's Carrie plays... Keegan? Carrie Keegan, yeah. Uh Lori Holden from Walking Dead was almost that character. She would have been good. Uh, honestly, and you and I talked about this as well while we were watching it. The little redhead waitress in this mm -hmm. is far more interesting, seems to have a lot more invested in the material, and she does a lot with very little screen time. And she's much more spunky. You know, she gets a couple of really cool slow motion kill moments during that uh, the diner sequence. And the more I see her, you know, I've watched this movie many times, the more I watch her on screen, I'm thinking, you know, they really should have swapped these parts. Because mm -hmm. I think this person, you know, looks more like she could actually have been a couple with, you know, Steven's character at some point. And she's just... I don't know. She's certified badass in a lot of these scenes, and what happens to her? She gets impaled before we can learn anything about her. Not that we learn much more about anybody else. Anyone else? Movie. Yeah, I, I think we principle. know more about that really obnoxious lady running the diner than almost any other <laughs> oh character my God. aside from Creighton. Oh, oh my fucking God. Sunshine. <laughs> I hate how she goes from like, get that baby out of here. And then the next scene you see her in is like, you're not taking that baby anywhere. Like, yeah. oh, you're leaving? Are you taking the baby with you? Yeah, good. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, there. Yeah. That's really, really weird. Um, uh, another thing that was weird is the Necronomicon. You yeah, want to talk about this? I there. do. Yeah, well... From from my perspective, up until when I did some damn research for this, like I just assumed that that was an Easter egg, right? Uh, and then it's like, no, Jason's a deadite, and Pamela Voorhees made a deal with the book to bring him back to life. Mm -hmm. So that's why the book is in there. And this is from the director. This is what he said about it. And it's just like, you kind of need to set that up 
or it's just an Easter egg, you know? Yeah. Not like a plot device. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, which like, would make sense later like with Duke's the comic backstory book. or, you know, and yes, any of the other numerous anything. things that we any just new, yeah. totally ignored, like, you know, a writer would have done. <laughs> right. Strange as that sounds, it explains the existence of Freddy versus Jason versus Ash uh-huh. mm-hmm. to tie those universes together. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it, it does. Absolutely. And uh, th- those are cool comic books, by the way. They're, they're pretty cheap to get on Amazon. I, I recommend both of those. They're fun sequels to uh, to Freddy versus Jason. But I digress. Um, yeah. So the reason that they couldn't really do any of that directly was because New Line didn't own the rights to any of the Evil Dead stuff. So it was actually pretty clever of and actually ballsy and I don't know if ballsy or stupid is the right word because <laughs> I, I feel like to, to listen to Adam Marcus tell it, he went directly to Sam Raimi on the set of Army of Darkness and pitched him his idea and, and they're like, great, I love it. Here, let me just get the book out of the back seat of my car. Here you go. And he just lent him the actual <laughs> movie prop. <laughs> Which is cool. But then I would think that the danger in doing that is you get your movie shut down because if somebody puts two and two together at the studio, we're like, whoa, whoa wait right. a minute. Like, we we're can't right. use Man. this. Like, And it's canon at that point as soon as it hits the theater. You uh-huh. know, so who knows who wanted that, you know? Uh, yeah, it's really weird. Really weird. And it's it it doesn't even fit with that universe, though, unless, you know, Jason is the one mute deadite. Because <laughs> they tend to either laugh yeah. maniacally. They're chatty. They're they are. shit talkers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even true. as skeletons, they're shit talkers. So uh, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around how how he made that leap it, it even then i mean as cool as it is to have those comics it still doesn't work yeah uh like i said it, it's all the, it's it is wasted potential because there is there's a lot of style here that they had a lot of very talented people working on it and it, it's it is it's a in my estimation it's it's somewhat of a beautiful mess <laughs> well it's interesting because i feel like how how you're talking about this movie is how i feel about halloween six which is yep. very similar you know to this in like uh the look of it and then like the plot a little bit of like the transference uh, of evil to another body you know mm-hmm. but yeah, uh halloween six is a beautiful beautiful steaming turd yes <laughs> And there is no salvaging that movie with all the the best visuals and editing in the world because that script is a disaster. Mm -hmm. And I think we're kind of in a very similar boat here, although without as much of the beauty. Like there's hints of it, you know, the the diner sequence at the end, you know, it's very well shot. I I love the style of it. The, The opening sequence of this, you know, continuity errors aside is a lot of fun there's a lot here to like, and then there's a lot to make you just face palm and shake your head and go, why? It's unfortunate. Well, for me, it's too much of those uh, WTF things that just keep happening through the movie that are like just distracting where it's like, I think I'm on board with what they're doing. And then something else happens where I'm just confused (laughs) again, you know, and that keeps happening. That happened to me 
so many times for this movie. And then, but that's like, especially like at the end, and I'm not talking about like one specific thing, but that moment from like Jason takes his form again to the end credits. It's like, that is like, I can't put into words how I feel about that whole, those sequences, you know, uh, it's so strange because now there's the, like, all I thought about was the rock biter from never ending story with those hands coming out of the ground. Right. Where it's just like, I'm like, what is this? And I had completely blanked um, that these rock hands coming out of the ground. I forgot that that was even there, that that was a thing, uh, which was impressive to know you've seen something, but be completely surprised at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And, and that happened. Uh, why was that? A, I, we just watched this two days ago and I'm already like, why did anything happen? It's because he got stabbed by the dagger, right? Yeah, the magical dagger that when, you know, Creighton Duke throws it and Carrie Keegan catches it, it uh, it, it turns. magically transforms into, and it looks a lot like the evil dead dagger too. So mm-hmm. there's a, another tie in there. And she stabs him in the chest and then kicks him and the, all the, the lights fly out. And Are those and souls? Maybe. Like the <sighs> stuff flying out? Maybe, like, I, I don't know. I think it's the same essence that, you know, transferred out of his, you know, dismembered corpse into the, uh, the autopsy dock in the beginning. Okay. But instead of, you know, but why it would go up and not down. Yeah, because I, it went up into the <laughs> sky and changed the weather. And then they came back down as blue orbs. And, and then we started hearing the sound effects. So you remember when you were a kid at the dollar store and you found those, those long tubes you know, and you'd, you'd whip them around and they would make that. <laughs> I'm yes. telling you, that's where they foleyed that sound from. They must have. Because it's, it that's exactly like. what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, I'm dating myself. <laughs> no, but why all of that? Why all of that? There's nothing. I don't get it. Like, I don't understand the orbs. Oh, and did you know, like, the, the white blue orbs? They made Jason's masks at the end. Did you notice that as they're like leaving his body and going oh, I didn't everywhere? That actually, yeah, I didn't either. But that's just what the director said in the commentary track. Uh, I think he's full of shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, one yeah. of those blinking you miss it moments. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Like the uh, the hand of fire and license to kill as the truck is exploding. Right. Like, like right. no way. And then you actually see it. Oh, okay. Well, as long as it's not full of I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I, I like the opening of the movie the best. And it just never recovers for me. Like, he, even when he comes back at the end, it's, it's not like, oh, boy, Jason's back. I'm, I'm kind of confused after all the body swapping. Why? Mm. he's even back together because <laughs> uh, that kind of invalidates the whole thing of needing to swap the bodies like it's just yeah. <laughs> i remember the opening be actually being more suspenseful than it was i i saw that i saw this on tv as i don't know as a kid whatever year it came out heavily edited I remembered the opening, I remembered the, the finger breaking, and I remember the mask grab at the end. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And 
even though we literally just watched this two days ago, I still feel like that's all I remember about this <laughs> movie. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I think I used to think the opening was like really suspenseful. Like, oh, wow, they're playing with all these cliches and whatnot. And they they do. But it also feels like really soft for some reason. Like, it's not I, I don't know, like maybe they could have spent more time on that building that up and instead mm. of you know because there's moments where like she'll duck down and then back up and you know, it's like oh he's gonna be in the mirror oh he's not in the mirror but they don't like the intentions there but they don't like play it very effectively right. yeah. and the cinematography in that scene is crap mm-hmm. it's it's very flat it's it's not stylish at all it's, it's just it's kind of over warm there's the, the lights are in all the wrong places and it, it just it doesn't you know if it's a horror film it needs to be shot like a horror film and that scene is just you know as, especially after a nice stylish shot where she comes in she flicks the light switch on and you see the the light burst and you know congeal and you know just fry oh, yeah. itself that's that's a really cool split diopter shot and then you follow it up with this flat hyper warm oranges looking amateur hour looking scene and it's it, it does kind of kill the effect and i think it is because of that scene does look very cheaply made mm-hmm. but i will stand i will say this though i think that that opening sequence had that been at the end and she had been the main character and maybe you know you know warring with creighton duke and at the end they finally just you know team up and figure out how to how to get jason and then you know creighton you know the 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 pervert with the donut joke sits down and he says i think i know how we can do this you know and then she goes out in the woods and gets naked and sure enough jason shows up and then you know runs out boom if if that had been the end of the movie seeing him explode into pieces with his head like that and this beautiful practical shot that would have been better Mm mm-hmm See, the, the problem with that approach is that there's a story in your movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what they were going for. So. I, no, I, think I they love that explosion, the... though. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, I just I really want to know like if it was accidental or if they somehow rigged it so the head went perfectly straight up because it's like that is like <laughs> chef's kiss where like yes, the limbs just absolutely. fly off in every direction. The fire's beautiful, <laughs> and then the head just perfectly flies straight up. It's like, was that a happy accident, or did somebody just, like, really know how to, like... Yeah. And if so, how does one become that comfortable with explosions that you can plan that? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a little scary. Yeah. If that had been the end of Jason, that would have been, like, standing ovation applause. People mm-hmm. would have been throwing their popcorn going nuts. But you still have to have a solid story that's going to lead up to that. Well, when you start that and you blow your wad on it and then you completely take the movie in another direction, I I know why this movie is so frustrating for a lot of fans. Well, and, and with the head getting blown off right in the beginning there and in your, in your better version, you could still end with the, the, Freddie hand coming up and pulling the mask down into the ground. Grab his whole head and pull it down. The head's just perfectly on the ground there. So yeah, it would have been that would have been even better because you'd have the the severed head laying there, like you know, hey, go and clean all this shit up, and then you see the head there, and then maybe you see the the eye and the head open, and then Freddie's glove comes up and grabs it and pulls it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, like 
there's so many things that could have been slightly different to make this movie like so much more enjoyable you know so uh, for me what's that i was just gonna say what i'm hearing is we should we should remake this movie <laughs> and, uh, i like, think we should i make think, it i make sense make I the real our, jason goes to hell <laughs> i think on our worst days uh now i'm not even a filmmaker but on my worst day of being a filmmaker i think i could pull off something better than this you know i think i could do it and i don't think that's a that's a bold statement you know because it's like i i can kind of put together a story in my head you mm -hmm. know so but no this there's so many things so many that could have been uh could have been better yeah. i if there was nothing that i enjoyed about this movie it would go on my worst movies list but there's too many things that i did kind of grin at i hate to say it you know i don't think we heard very much what you actually enjoy about it me what yeah. i enjoy yeah because you'd say oh, well, i would be something I... on board with and then it would do something yeah yeah so stupid like the, and... the the first part was like you know um the uh oh shit uh the scene where he's like getting uh getting chased or be chasing that woman mm -hmm. and then like the adr in the background so fucking stupid you know where it's just like this is really cool but then this thing on top of it is really dumb you know but then you have like the whole um like for example well i really like the special effects design in this movie i think they're great but then it's like the thing that's making future special effects happen later on in the movie is a body snatcher situation where it's like this critter is then going from one person to the next and that's like that to me that's just like so stupid um they crawling better to leave that floor. unseen yeah yeah i would almost just have preferred it if it was just a spirit like if the orbs that came out of his body in the beginning that's where the thing that's the thing that was possessing people like if that was just transferred to people that would be more interesting to me that would be something like fallen you know yeah. but um or you could do, uh, you know, just do the, you know, the Sam Raimi, you know, Evil Dead rushing shots of something. Yeah, and yeah. Since he's leaving the body and then running off. Yeah, I, you know? I, I love how you can do that in the video game, and it is the Evil Dead camera rushing, and that's basically how you teleport around the map. That's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, that's really sweet. cool. Those are fun um, games. I mean, I like the the music. I mean, that feels like Friday the Thirteenth. Sometimes. You know? Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Well, there's the a caveat because I've said I've said before where it's like music is something I don't notice a lot, you know, yeah. so it's just but well, that's a it's a good thing when you when you don't notice it and it's there, that means that it's working. It feels organic that the opening credits music is just Henry Harry Manfredini is absolute worst. It, it sounds like it was cobbled together out of Casio keyboards bought at Radio Shack. It's it's awful. He should have just stuck with what he knew. <laughs> yeah, his well, I, I I do enjoy his music, and I I'm pretty sure the reason that he stepped away from it was just like, guy, you know, I've done this so much. Like, what else can right. I do? Seven and, movies, like a break. Yeah, and they were basically librarying tracks, and then the using a little bit of original footage to kind of bridge things and and cover tracks that they couldn't do before. His music in the game is is really good. And and just on the subject of the game and Jason goes to hell, 
they fixed the continuity error in the game, so they he's got the right eye that's wounded. Oh, good. They reversed it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that always stuck me you know, stuck in my crawl. Like, why is there something off about this design? As nice as it looks, oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I I like the design. I'm not a huge fan of the baby blue, like the powder blue there. Hmm. Um. Also, the other thing that I like is those Muppet rock hands coming out of the ground right at the end. You know, <laughs> as silly as it looks, it's just, it's like, it's so absurd that like, you can't help but not appreciate it. You know, like that's, that is so weird and lame. And mm. I don't like how it looks and it looks fake. It shouldn't be in a Friday the 13th movie, but here it is. I guess I'm for it. They're really yeah. puffy looking. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's like, the, like a bunch of Fozzies just reaching up out of the ground. <laughs> yeah, like there's a bunch yes. of Stay Puff Marshmallow Men down there just reaching up at them. Um, I have another question. Do you guys happen to look at the back case of the this movie from yep. Scream Factory? Uh, what are those demons? Those like root demons? It was cut out. Yeah, those look much more scary. Than yeah. the Muppet hands we got at the end of this movie, mm -hmm. you know. Originally, a lot of it was going to be done in stop motion, but because uh, in the Crystal Lake Memories, uh, John DeLamay gets his, he shows his doll that was supposed to be from that sequence. And okay. there was a lot of promotional shots of it that were taken, but in the end, it just, it didn't work very well and it looked too silly. Yeah, it probably worked as a still composition, but when you saw it in motion, you just couldn't rely on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not sure how much what we got looked better, but <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's it is just the sheer absurdity of the approach to it. I mean, this is the kind of movie that could only be made by somebody who did not know what the hell they were doing, and right, just the fact that they even managed to pull it off at all is kind of amazing. <laughs> it is impressive, but I don't know. I don't know. It's like saying it like that, though, gives credit to that, like credit to these <laughs> filmmakers. It's like, well, they oh, they made every I, mistake possible. <laughs> every they mistake. really did. It's like my way of learning, but on screen for everyone to see, like yeah. uh, do everything wrong, fail at everything until there's no more room to fail. And the only thing that can happen is success, you know? <laughs> When, uh, when there's no more room to uh, fail, Jason will, will rise from hell. <laughs> yeah, no, you like I that think, kind of a Dawn of the Dead play there? I do like it. I like that quite a bit. When uh, there's no more room to fail. What was it? When there's no more room to Jason, fail, Jason will, Jason walk will the earth. rise from hell. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, Still waiting that's how that he, movie, man. That's how he comes back. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how, like, none of the movies that came after this acknowledged this in any way, shape, or form? Because, in like... They really didn't. You've yeah. got the, the whole body swapping thing that comes out of nowhere. They never revisit that again. The whole thing with him getting dragged down in the ground and Jason X, he's just back, you know, and he's you can, just back, yeah. you, you don't know if that takes place in the whole New Line series. I mean, you mentioned earlier that the Friday the 13th series was bad with continuity. I actually thought they did a pretty good job of like picking up where the last one left off, because if Jason was at the bottom of a lake in part seven, you're going to find him at the bottom of the lake in part eight. 
if he died in the barn in the beginning or at the end of part three, they start with the coroners pulling him out yeah, of the barn. Yeah, they were pretty good with that stuff, part, yeah. Part four. But, but the New Line movies just did not acknowledge anything before or after that. The, even yeah. Freddy vs. Jason, which would be the next one in chronological order, because we, we obviously don't go into the future and then come back yeah. unless Jason finds a time machine, which... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in Jason X two that never got made. We'll never know. <laughs> but they don't address it in, in Freddy vs Jason at all, and that's what this movie was kind of, sort of ish supposed to be setting up. I there. think that's really where the new line had their problem is that their whole goal was Freddy versus Jason, and it took so long to make that happen. They had to just make something to hold the rights, mm-hmm. and this is what happens when you don't have a plan. Yeah, and from what I understand, they made Jason X just to put Jason back out there into the public consciousness. That's and and it's kind of a similar situation with this one. I don't care what you do, just do something. <laughs> like right. <laughs> do you think that there was like a loss in fandom after this movie came out? Like people are like, "Wow, that's." Uh, Strangely uh, enough, this one did better than Part Eight at the box office. It, it wasn't by much. It was and, like a million dollars better. It was yeah. yeah it wasn't and and strangely much. enough, even with a disappointing box office return, it still made a profit, and it was still the top-grossing horror film of 1993. Really? Okay, what, yeah. what else came out that year? Because I I saw obviously it was, not much. <laughs> oh yeah, and and it was like number 86 out of. A, the top hundred movies of that year. So if it's that low, it's like, that must've been a bad year for horror. Like, Yeah, it must've been. Yeah, well, the I, weren't the greatest for horror. I think a bad year for everyone. Cause it was like, uh, new lines, like one of their better grossing movies of that year. And these are the Lord of the Rings people, you know, not at this time, but it's like, you know, you're talking about $16 million versus hundreds of millions of dollars in a short amount of time. Like eight years later, they're coming out with Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you know? it, it's, so. it's hard to argue with a $16 million return on a $3 million investment. So by yeah. that metric, even though it might have not performed as well as some of the other movies, it was still wildly successful considering the initial investment. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why this series lasted as long at Paramount as it did, is because they were cheap to make and they made gangbuster money. Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't think it would have had the legs that it did because the the producer of those movies was Frank Mancuso Jr. Yep. Frank Mancuso, his father, was one of the studio heads at Paramount. So if it wasn't the pet project, because they, they clearly did not care about these movies whatsoever. <laughs> I don't think they were proud of him in any way, shape, or form. And I, I think if it wasn't the pet project of the son of one of the studio heads, we never would have made it past part four, I don't think. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there who would have been totally fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> but then we wouldn't have part six. And, you know, as you, you flip a coin on any given day, I'm going to say either four or six is my favorite. Right. And we never would have gotten Kane Hodder, Jason, and all that. Yep. Yeah, I mean... It, like it or not, you know, New Line, Paramount, what have you, they <laughs> they took this little pet project that they were probably a little bit ashamed of, and it turned into a legacy. And yeah, here we are still talking about it, and we haven't had a new film in the series since, what, 2010? Uh, yeah. 2009, I think. 2009, okay, yeah, it's, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, uh, 
I want I want to see more Friday the 13th. It's about damn time too. Um it just it always seems like it's caught up in legal limbo limbo some yeah for some yeah. reason it's like well this is my property and this part's my property and it doesn't seem like there's one entity that owns all of what Friday the 13th is, you know. I think the rights did finally uh, fall back to Victor Miller. So now it's going to be on him. What happens next? Yeah. He's got the Friday, the 13th name, the camp crystal Lake. And I, I believe that the, the, the Cunningham, uh, the Sean Cunningham group uh, has Jason, the hockey mast killer. I, I think that's what they have. So you could wind up with two competing franchises there where here's the Friday the 13th that deals with the camp and it's the murder mystery and come out with, uh, you know, Jason takes Manhattan or, you know, whatever. My brain is going to explode. Basically what they were doing here. I mean, it's, it's essentially what they were doing here. So it's not like they can't move forward because it's with the whole, the the whole new line movies. They didn't have those elements either. That's why they didn't use them. So, you can get your hockey mask Jason back and get him out there. Is it going to happen? I don't. I don't know. Who knows? It, it'd be nice to hear some damn news about it, though. Now, now that that's yeah. finally settled, because I, I they took right? it all the way to the Supreme Court. All like it was at that step where oh. he didn't okay. appeal to the Supreme Court. That was the next step. Like there was no other weird other place to go. Was. The next stop, Supreme yeah. Court. He had exhausted, wow. Sean Cunningham had exhausted every other avenue, every other court, and it got to that point, and he just wisely didn't go forward with it. Wow. <laughs> well, should we send this podcast to hell? I think we, I, I think we should. <laughs> Straight to hell. Straight to hell. Yeah. And it's going to get dragged down there by big Fozzie hands. <laughs> this is probably not going to be one that I'll see for like another 10 to 20 years. I think that'll <laughs> be the next time I watch it, to be honest. Yeah, I I didn't own it until that box set. And yep. w- when I got the set, I, I watched I watched it in or- the series in order. And w- I t- watching eight goes to hell and X like night after night back to back it like it, it was demoralizing actually and like i was not having a good time i, I do still think that manhattan is the worst hands down and i know a lot of people will will swear on a stack of bibles that this one is the worst but despite all of its absurdities i don't think it ever gets boring and jason takes manhattan is boring cheap it doesn't have the music and oh my lord and and then the guy that's supposed to be the jerk that you hate is the one who makes the most sense (laughs) right (laughs) and i'm supposed to applaud when he gets uh you know dumped in a in a barrel of rainwater like no yeah he lost me not to mention the uh, the mask reveal at the end is hands down the worst. <laughs> Didn't you say there there was some comic book that bridged the gap between? Allegedly, that's what I, when I was researching it. It says allegedly there was supposed to be a comic book that bridged 
Heart Eight to Jason Goes to Hell and explained how Jason got back to Crystal Lake and how there was a whole FBI task force created to destroy him. Whether or not it actually exists, I don't know. But I, okay. if it does, I'd like to see it. Because I know one of the books, and I forget the name of the book, ends with the FBI finding out about Jason. And there, there's a line about, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to put it together a team and send him straight to hell. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been. I'm telling you, man, the FBI working with Creighton Duke and ending with the beginning of this movie would have been so much better. That's 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 for our fan film. Or yeah, <laughs> too bad we weren't of age back then. We totally could have done it. I actually know that novel's name. Uh, it's Friday the Thirteenth: Hate, Kill, Repeat. Is the, <laughs> the novel that bridges the gap uh, between the two movies? See, nice. okay, and here, here's here's my high concept pitch. Now that I hear that, because that makes me think of Edge of Tomorrow, right? Right. Yes. Yep. So instead of the body swapping, we're going to get rid of that, and we're going to make this like a time loop movie ish, <laughs> where where Jason's basically stuck at the camp and cause like you're saying about like the end of every movie, like he dies and then he's resurrected and it like, but it, it's, it's a different group of people. It's just, it's the same loop repeating and he's trapped there <laughs> until he can kill them all, which he never can. So he's just perpetually yep. and, in this like weird existential hell. Retains, and for some reason he retains all the injuries from every time he gets killed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> every time he wakes up you know it's, at, at some point you know maybe you know there was a, an explanation of a backstory where jason used to be a shit talking deadite but before you know he got killed one time somebody cut his tongue out or shot him in the throat and now he can't talk so now it's just like this inner monologue you fucking teenagers i'm just gonna skewer their asses they can pay for what they did to my tongue yeah i, I like where this is getting room written <laughs> <laughs> We're getting all Kafka-esque over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not going to watch this for a long time either. I it, now that I own it, I'm def I'm definitely going to ignore it practically every time I go through the series. <laughs> I eight I agree with you is really bad. Eight's another one that I usually skip when I go through the series. I if I watch eight, I don't watch X. If I watch X, I don't watch eight because they're essentially the same movie. The, they're they're the same plot basically you know jason on a boat or on a spaceship it's, it's the same thing yeah. it's a fish out of water story but uh i don't know i just i i like part i i like x is um it feels like a friday the 13th movie even though it's wrapped in the science fiction thing it just has that pervasive sense of sleaze and the playfulness this yeah. one kind of seems a little a little too nasty like that aspect isn't there and and that's part partly why it doesn't feel like a Friday the Thirteenth movie to me. And there's also the whole supernatural trappings of it. So yeah, I, don't, I have a hard time getting behind this one. Yeah, like I said, I, I know why it, it frustrates so many people, and uh, I agree with a lot of what everybody says. It's just you know you people it's, can yeah. appreciate different kinds of trash, I guess. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> what you can choose to look past or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. I agree. Believe it or not, Rob Zombie still has fans. <laughs> it's so impressive, isn't it? He can still have fans. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like, uh, you know, all these people willing to 
ignore any flaw in a Christopher Nolan movie because of the Dark Knight. You know, they're, they're willing to look past a lot of what Rob Zombie puts out there because of the Devil's Rejects. And I, it's the same thing with this. Like the more shit his name goes on, the harder it is to look back on that and say positive things about it because it's it's clearly was just one of those fluke things. Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, where can yeah. people find you on social media there, Mr. Blake? Uh, Lightcraft Entertainment on Instagram and Facebook. Um, primarily, you know, doing weddings and events still. So uh, I'm uh, my tenure as a producer for my, my buddy is going to be coming to an end pretty soon. So I'm going to be striking out and doing a lot more of my own stuff. So hopefully I'll have more news about that in the near future. Oh, awesome. We'll look forward yep. to uh, what you do creatively next. It'll be pretty fun. Yeah, me too. I've, I've given him 10 years. You know, we've, we've saved a lot of, a lot of lives with the, the message that he puts out there. 433 to date have credited him with keeping a gun out of their mouths. So it's, uh, it's been, you know, very fruitful in that way. And that's yeah, and, just what and he's that, So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you there in that web series is for people who don't know. Oh, it's, it's called ridiculous, just yeah, ridiculous grunt comedy. Uh, Pop is a guy who served 33 years in the military. Uh, he came back, got divorced, got raked through the coals in the system, and he decided that he didn't want that to happen to anybody else. So he formed a nonprofit, and we tried to reach out there and help men with comedy. Yep, over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, right? Correct. Yep. That is a that is a, a big achievement, man. So that's that's pretty awesome that that has happened. Yep. And uh, he's going to keep it going. I'm, I'm trying to teach someone who has two traumatic brain injuries and dyslexia how to run tech stuff. So wish me oh luck. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he's a smart dude. He can do it, but it requires he's military. So it requires routine and repetition. I would imagine. And, yeah. As they say, the first thousand times are the hardest. Absolutely. <laughs> Or in Adam Marcus's case, uh, just just stop. <laughs> Quit while you're ahead. Oh man! All right. Oh, I wish I could take back Texas Chainsaw 3D. That's 90 minutes. I'll never get back. Yeah, I, I don't mind it until it gets to like a certain part, and then you just turn on it because it's just I don't know. <laughs> Is that the do your thing, cuz? Well, it's basically that that once moment? it becomes a, like a ritual <laughs> sacrifice thing, and it's yeah, just like this this is weird, you know. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. but the there, Texas Chainsaw okay. movies, as we discussed, are a whole another basket of snakes. We don't want to get into that. Thanks, <laughs> no. thanks for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. And we'll we'll have to have you back to finish off the rest of the series here. We're we're only oh, about yeah. halfway through, so there's going to be plenty more <laughs> of these funny. going. Yeah, the real chore is going to be picking what comes next. It's not going to be eight. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> no, you don't want to yeah. do two bad ones back to back. No. I'll save that one for last. I mean, I just, I just don't want to do eight ever. You know. Uh, yeah, we've we, it's we, just we so just fucking boring. It is. It's so bad. Uh, All right. I'm well, thanks for being here. We'll t- we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>